welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast. We are your hosts, Mackenzie and Micah. And uh, we had a listener request to talk about liturgy. This is from an Episcopalian, I think. Um, and maybe we should define what liturgy would mean to an Episcopalian before we go into us. Sure. Um, uh, like, I'm sure it would mean something slightly different for an Episcopalian to, or a Catholic, but you with your, your Catholic background probably have a pretty good idea of what a Catholic <laughs> would expect out of liturgy. Right. So um, growing up for me as an ex-Catholic, um, when you go to a Mass... Um, which is what they call service, or you know what we call meeting. Um, they have the liturgy of the word, and then the liturgy of the Eucharist. And the liturgy of the word is a series of um, readings from the Old Testament, the Psalms, and the New Testament, interspersed with some music, um, possibly a recitation of a creed. The liturgy of the Eucharist is all the stuff that surrounds doing the physical communion, um, offering up the bread and wine, the blessing and the distribution of that. And there are more songs interspersed in there too, but there's a set pattern of these are all the steps we're going to take in, in a basically set ritual um, in order to get to, to correctly um, worship God and um, which things they read are determined by a book called the lectionary, which has a three year cycle of, you know, on the first Sunday of the year, you're going to read this piece from I don't know, I'm making things up, from Hebrew, really, no, first reading is going to be Old Testament, so from Esther, and the then you'll have Psalm 23, and then, like, Acts, I don't know. 87. There's not that many. <laughs> 22. Um, <laughs> um, and generally, Quakers do not have something that is that formalized. Well, so... Um... I, I cur- uh, my family currently goes to a uh, Church of the Brethren congregation here in D.C., Washington City Church of the Brethren. And uh, at the Church of the Brethren uh, that we go to, uh, there's also a liturgy. It's way more low-key than what you would get in, like, a Roman Catholic or even an Episcopalian church. Um, but, you know, like, the same thing pretty much happens every Sunday. Uh, we show up, we sing a few, like, there's sort of uh, intro music uh, with someone, like, usually, like, singing and playing guitar or something like that. Then uh, we Guitar. sing. Then we then we sing. Then we then we'll usually sing like we'll we'll have like intros and welcome. Then we'll usually sing a few hymns. We'll have an offering uh, where the, they'll pass the plate um, and we'll, and we'll pray. And then uh, we will have sort of joys and concerns time. And then sing a few more songs and have a scripture like usually multiple scripture readings that are going to be preached on. And then the preacher uh, preaches a sermon. And there's a benediction, and we close. Um, oh, and I almost forgot uh, a formalized part of, the, of that liturgy is actually sort of a meet and greet. Greet your neighbor is like a part of it. Everyone sort of gets out of their pews and walks around and talks to everybody, passing the peace. And, right. Yeah. And, and for Catholics, when you pass the peace, you're not supposed to get out of your spot. You, you shake hands with only the people that you can reach very um, staid. Whereas yeah. when I've been to Episcopalian churches, they, they walk around for like five minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how it is, the Church of the Brethren. So... Um, you also see this in... Oh, we should define benediction, because I... It's, a, it's like a closing prayer. It's a blessing. There you go. Um, it's a blessing. Uh, my wife, Faith, recently told me I did it wrong, um, because uh, when, I, when I preach at the Church of the Brethren, I, uh, you know, the preacher typically does the benediction, and so I, you know, I, I do the benediction afterwards, and like, 
I always just like pray. Like I pray for us as a congregation. And like apparently, apparently faith told me I'm doing it wrong. That should be like blessing the congregation and sending the congregation in some way. And so like, I was like, that's good enough. Oh yeah. In a Catholic church, they would say go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, this is actually not so different. Um, what, what I, what we experienced in that church, the brethren congregation is really not very different from what, uh, goes on in, you know, most Quaker churches. Um, uh, just like most Quaker churches in North America and certainly in the world. Um, I should note that he's specifying churches versus meetings. Well, I'm not, um, actually like the majority of Quaker congregations in the United States, um, have a, have a service that looks pretty similar to what I just described of the Church of the Brethren. Um, the the main difference being that um, in probably in a majority of that majority, um, there is a designated period of waiting worship during the service. Like sort of, it's a part of the liturgy. Um, but that's pretty typical. Um, the real the real weirdos and outliers are the unprogrammed Quakers. We have something that looks really, really different um, from the Church of the Brethren or the Roman Catholic Church or the Episcopalians. Um, and basically, um, I'm going to describe what I've experienced as like a typical unprogrammed Quaker worship in the non-conservative Quaker world. And, and again, conservative Quakers are very particular, a very, very tiny and particular group of Quakers um, in three different yearly meetings uh, that are, uh, you know, typically uh, Christ-centered and unprogrammed. Um, but apart from that, uh, my experience in the, in the in sort of the general unprogrammed Quaker world is that uh, you'll show up uh, at the building, and uh, there may be some people hanging around having coffee and chatting in like a lobby or someplace like that. And then uh, some people may already be, you know, even early, some people may already be like in the worship space in silence. Um, and then everyone will gather, uh, you know, hopefully more or less punctually, everyone will gather in the appointed space. Uh, and for approximately an hour, in most places it's approximately an hour, um, people will uh, sit in the room in silence. And if anyone is moved to speak, they can stand up and speak um, and deliver a message. And at the end of that time, there's typically a, uh, someone who is, someone who, uh, they're called different things at different places, but someone who is appointed to do so uh, will stand up and pre- and give a welcome and welcome people to the meeting as sort of as a way of closing it. Um, and typically at that point there will be announcements. Oh, this is all after you do the passing piece, though. Oh, right. Yep. Almost forgot. Yes, that's right. When meeting closes, people shake hands uh, or hold hands in some places. Um, and then at the end, there's there, after the announcements, there's typically there's typically you know sort of a, a meet and greet afterwards too, where people talk to one another and maybe have some more coffee. And sometimes there will be, you know, different activities afterwards. Um, so that's, I think, I think that's a pretty typical uh, liturgy in the unprogrammed Quaker universe. And the, que- the question that I think our Episcopalian listener uh, had was, do Quakers have a liturgy? And if you asked most Quakers, if you asked your, you know, random American Quaker, do Quakers have a liturgy? They'd be like, well, no, of course not. Um, but of course we do. Um, and it depends, sort of depends on how you define liturgy, but I think as we define it, which is, uh, it's essentially, for, for, those, for those of you who, like Mackenzie and I, are computer geeks, um, it's basically an algorithm. <laughs> uh, liturgy is an algorithm, an algorithm is, 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 and an algorithm is like a recipe. It's a set of instructions that are followed in a sequence, um, and you get a predictable result from predictable inputs. Uh, so 
liturgy is an algorithm in that same way, where we all sort of know what's going to happen. Um, now, within now the, 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 with an algorithm, the only variable in question about the, the, the output you're going to get is the input. And so in any of these liturgies, whether it's Roman Catholic, uh, whether it's Brethren, whether it's uh, pastoral Quaker worship, whether it's uh, unprogrammed Quaker worship, there are inputs that determine how, within the parameters of the steps, uh, whether it's you know the opening prayer, the greeting, the silent worship, the, uh, the sermon, whatever it is, with all these steps uh, in the liturgy, the inputs determine what's actually going to happen. And uh, unprogrammed Quaker worship... Uh, invests a lot in the discernment of each individual of how the Holy Spirit's leading them in that very long period of silent worship. Um, uh, but there's, there's an expectation, I think, in all liturgies, from the highest church to the lowest church, so to speak, from the Roman Catholic to the Quaker, um, that the, the primary input should be the Holy Spirit and the obedience of every individual to the Holy Spirit um, and so you're expecting that, you know, uh, Jesus is going to show up in the Eucharist, right, uh, at, at a Roman Catholic service. You're expecting that, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're praying and you're hoping and you're expecting that when I show up to preach on Sunday morning at the Brethren Church, that I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to uh, direct me in my preparation of my sermon and direct me in delivering that sermon. Um, and you're hoping and praying that the people who are gathered together in silence in an hour of, of silent worship um, are going to be uh, coming with hearts and minds prepared and uh, opening themselves in the moment to how the Holy Spirit wants to direct and guide them to deliver a message or to not deliver a message. So um, really what a liturgy is in, in this conception of it is uh, a series of pre, a series of pre-planned spaces and activities in which we hope the whole, we, we hope and want to invite the Holy Spirit to work, but we but we know we typically know what those steps are going to be. Okay. Um, it, so as you were talking, this was reminding me of like on a lot of church websites, you'll have they'll have a page that's called "What to Expect," where they're trying to explain like you know so wait, and they'll say like you know when you show up like we're we're going to sing for a bit. There's going to be talking there's an offering like it's your first time here we're not really expecting you to put anything in the bit in the basket or whatever um etc and like you know, on my meetings website i put a what to expect um section on the visitors page it's like okay so if you if you show up before 10 we will be singing and we're gonna be that's just somebody called out a number out of the hymnal and hopefully whoever's sitting at the piano knows how to play it and we'll sing it and then call out some other number whatever your favorite song song is out of the book um, until 10, and then we'll settle into silence, <clears throat> and then explain what the whole thing is with the silence, and then say, and then, yes, we'll shake hands, we'll, or no, somebody, somebody who's sitting at the front will say, um, we'll ask about joys and concerns, so this is where you give your prayers of thanksgiving, and your, um, prayers of, um, you know, for help, and then we shake hands, and we have announcements, and then potluck, and, Sometimes, sometimes I joke that, um, I don't, did not do so on the website, I don't think, but sometimes I joke that potluck is the, uh, the, the bread breaking that goes with communion in other churches. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, uh, this is sort of tangential, but, um, 
I think there's a very strong argument to be made that the the early churches, like the very early churches, like the first few decades of the church, that what is now called the Eucharist was in fact a potluck. Um, so that's just sort of, I think, maybe we even discussed that in a previous episode about communion. We might have. Yeah. Um, so you said, you know, with the exception of um, conservative friends you were, you were speaking about before, and I know that talking to conservative friends, I had one of them say, well, you un- <clears throat> you liberal friends are a lot more programmed than you think you are. Right. And thinking about it, like what I just lift- listed off for what to expect coming to my meeting. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, at least yeah. we have a designated period for singing. You got the um, hymns. Yeah, we have a designated period for singing. That's been going on for like 15 years. Yeah. Um, apparently, I was just told recently that there was debate about whether we should or shouldn't, like, and then some new, and then a new person showed up and was like, I like singing and I can play piano. Let's just do this. And okay. And so we've had singing every Sunday since. I, 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 I have anecdotally, I don't have any data, but just based on my anecdotal observation, I think that has been growing in the last couple decades of, yeah. of unprogrammed meetings, having a designated time for singing. Right. And, or having meetings for singing where it'll be like, we'll spend the whole Saturday going, doing different singing styles throughout the day, just mm-hmm. because singing is fun and you know, people like it. And as Dr. C says, fun is good. <laughs> um, I know that traditionally the the time when worship starts would have been once somebody walks into the room and starts worshiping, mm-hmm. okay, worship has begun. Anybody who comes in after, sit down and join them. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> whereas I'd say with a lot of liberal program, sorry, liberal Quakers now, liberal and program Quakers now, um, there will actually be a welcome at the beginning. Um, I know at Friends Meeting of Washington, they have at 1030, somebody stands and reads off a piece of paper explaining what waiting worship is. That way any newcomers aren't sitting there going, I don't know what's going on. Oh, that just reminded me of the joke. Your joke, I mean. Oh, when does the service end? When does the service begin? When the worship ends. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, with, with regard to conservative Quakers, again, a very tiny group of people, um, the real, like, the real difference I have seen is uh, there's just one, like, at least, at least one particular piece of the liturgy that exists in a lot of conservative meetings that doesn't that doesn't typically exist other places, which is that um, typically an advice is mm-hmm. read at the uh, typically an advice is read at the end of the meeting for worship, and that's how you know the meeting for worship is about to end. Uh, before before what some people call passing the peace, the shaking of hands, the closing of the meeting, um, someone will some designated person will stand up and read an advice, and it will be considered for another maybe thirty seconds before the meeting's closed. Which closing meeting is also called the rise of the meeting. So if you come across, if, if you are not a Quaker and you are thinking about going to a meeting and you come across some Quaker website where they have way too much Quakerese and it says, at the rise of meeting, we will, they mean when we stand up at the end. Right. Yeah, it, it, it really is, um, it really is kind of amazing how much, how much, uh, I guess how human Quakers are and that just like all other human beings, like. We have we have set up our own our own schedules and agendas and and, and uh, uh, algorithms to organize our time together and to make to make it make sense to us because I mean think about it without a liturgy without without a predictable order of worship that is generally true even if sometimes we allow the Holy Spirit to mix it up because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do without a general order of worship without a general order of activities we'd all be confused and it would be chaos we wouldn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's fun, but most of the time it's really not fun. It's really not productive. Well, actually, I want to go back to the part where you said usually an hour um, spent in silence because, well, silent-ish. There's generally some talking, too. 
Um, because, you know, I've heard it said that uh, Quaker meeting gets an hour shorter every hundred years. Well, it can't get an hour shorter anymore. Yeah, without us dying out. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it used to be that you would have meetings well, for worship that were like three hours long. It was just, and that's like, I mean, sometimes you go to like um, some Baptist churches now, or if you go to a synagogue, those are all morning long. So in, in the early Quaker movement, meetings were often like six hours long, mm. like, like real, real long. Okay. Like, and there wasn't one set time period. I mean, I was just reading, um, uh, instructions for or encouragement, uh, for elders and elders, you know, the, the meaning of it was basically people who were really spiritually mature and were in charge, were basically in charge of a local congregation in, among Quakers. Um, in this, in this advice or this encouragement to the elders, they were saying, you elders should get together, you know, once or twice a week and like just worship together for, you know, four hours. Um, and so like, it was really pretty typical for these things to go real long. And it was also typical for these things to involve, uh, like these public meetings where, you know, maybe it's going for six hours, right on a Sunday. Um, a large portion of this would be sermons. Um, right. you, you know, you, you would have people stand up like sort of the, you know, people, people typically, again, like it was, it was fairly predictable. Um, you, you would typically have some people give very short sermons, like maybe only like 15 or 20 minute sermons, um, towards the beginning. And then you might get a longer sermon, maybe a 45 minute sermon. And then someone would get up and sort of be the, the, the you know, the main speaker, um, and would get up and give like an hour and a half long sermon. Oh. Um, I hate other ones that went hour and a half. Yeah, so like sermons, like actually um, there are records available um, because there was a point in history, and I'm forgetting when exactly this was, it might have been in the 1700s, um, uh, where reporters would actually attend. Oh, that was around the Hicksite Orthodox schism in the, in the early 1800s. There you go. So there was, there was a time period in, 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 in maybe the 1800s, maybe you know, late 1700s, where reporters would actually attend meetings for worship. Um, and they would make notes about what was preached on, about how long things went. So, like, we actually have data about this. Well, there's actually, um, so there were shorthand stenographers mm -hmm. going to meetings. And there, uh, in 1830, there was published a book that's called The Quaker Sermons of, it's like The Quaker Sermons of Elias Hicks and Others or something like that. Um, and it's on Google Books. I can post a link to it. Um, but it includes the full text of about a dozen sermons. And actually one of the ones that's in there is from 1688. Oh, so right. the stenographers showing up was not continuous. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't entirely new, which also makes it kind of interesting with nowadays where we're like, Oh, well we can't have recording. recording. You know, we can't, we can't have you take it down. We can't have a tape recording. We can't have video. Like generally you don't allow video or even photography in a Quaker wedding. Yeah, I, I mean, I still think I still think that photography is inappropriate. However, I think a lot of people, including conservative Quakers, um, at least in one case, I guess maybe they were thinking about it differently. I'm thinking about of a case at North Carolina yearly meeting conservative, where it was sort of I guess it wasn't in a meeting for worship per se, like a capital M meeting for worship, um, but it was like in an evening plenary. Um, the 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 plenary, it was a sermon. It was an extemporaneous sermon was recorded. Um, and, uh, the, the sermon was by Carl Magruder for anyone who's listening who might know who that is. Um, and he gave, he gave an extemporaneous sermon at, uh, North Carolina early meeting and I've listened to it and it was very good and I'm glad they recorded it. Um, but so like, 
I actually think it's very, very good to record sermons. I actually audio record my sermons when I deliver them at the Church of the Brethren, um, and they're available on my on my website when I posted them. Um, I think it's very good to record them. I would be uncomfortable with people taking photographs during when I was preaching or just during any point in the worship service, regardless of whether it's Quaker or Brethren or anything. I think it's inappropriate to take pictures mm-hmm. during a meaningful worship. And I think the difference for me is that uh, when you're recording, it's passive. You set the recorder, and then it's just there, it's recording, but that's it. Um, when you're taking photographs, in fact, it might, be, it might even be okay to video it, um, but what wouldn't be okay for me is for someone to be walking around taking pictures. Um, because they're not participating. They're not participating. It's basically, it's, it, it's, it's, turn, it's turning it into a spectacle. Mm. So that, okay. that, that's, where, that's for me where I think the line is. That makes sense. And I think there's also a huge difference between the kinds of sermons that we have these records of from the 1600s and 1800s versus the a lot of what you hear um, as messages during meeting, during, during waiting worship. I'm not referring to, I mean, like the sermons that you hear at program meetings are one thing. And I, I, I listened to a podcast from West Hills Friends Church. Um, I, like, I like listening to their sermons. But um, what you hear during the waiting worship portion or the open worship portion um, and what you hear in the program meetings and during on program meeting, these are very different from what you've got from these hundreds of years ago ones. Right. Um, for one thing, the length, like you said, and I, I remember um, reading that, about Job Scott going on for 45 minutes and looking like a vessel mm-hmm. ready to burst for once of a vent mm-hmm. as, as sweat pours off of him. And he's like stripping off his tie and his suit jacket, like his overcoat and then his suit jacket, his tie, like unbuttoning his collar because he is just on fire. Um, and you would never see that in, in like a liberal figure worship now. Right. Like it's, you know, you, you get up, you talk, um, Generally, quietly, slowly, with William Shatner-esque pauses for two to three minutes. William Shatner-esque pauses. That is actually a very apt description. <laughs> and what Mackenzie's describing, um, there are rules to how you are to speak in meeting for worship. And there, you are never told what the rules are. But as you, as, you, as you participate in meeting for worship, you come to learn that just as exactly what Mackenzie described, there are rules for how you are to speak. And if you follow the rules, you are more likely to be taken seriously and people are more likely to assume that God is actually speaking through you. Which is really annoying. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I actually have, like, shouted while speaking in meeting. Um, and I, that was even with one that had a microphone. I was just yelling into the microphone. I will say there's some... I will say, well, I think, I think it can be very, very silly. There is something to it in the sense that the, the William Shatner-esque pauses she mentioned, when I speak in meaningful worship, when I speak like out of the silence, like as led by the Holy Spirit in that moment, I often have those pauses. It is, it is acculturation. It is a, 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 a cultural thing that I picked up from Quakers, but it is also functional in that I am literally waiting on the next words sometimes. And I, I literally will get halfway through a sentence and not know what the second half is until I get there. Um, and it's, you know, it's what I've described as being oracular ministry in that like, I, to the best of my ability and discernment, am attempting to be an oracle of God. So it is, it is functional in that um, it can be mimicked. It can be mimicked and it can be abused. And people can pretend to be inspired by right. following the form. But the, the origin of the form is functional in that you can't, you can't always just race ahead if you don't know what God wants you to say yet. 
You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes. Thank you.